Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. He's Paul Dottino. The phone number is 201-939-4513. You've had Lance and Fields. all presented by Coors Life, by the way. You had Lance and Fields the last couple of days as Paul and I have been out there at minicamp practice. And minicamp is over. The players and coaches actually are both off today. The building is quite empty. There are some players working out on their own, but they were free to go home if they so desired. Uh, four OTAs remain next week, which will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then the players will be gone until the week of July 22nd. Yes. So, Paul, we got about four days of spring practice left, but minicamp is in the books a week earlier than we've had it here traditionally. What was your take? Well, I will tell you, John, the one guy, and I'm glad that Coach Shermer mentioned him yesterday, who showed the biggest improvement from the day he first walked onto campus till this, uh, well, upcoming break, let's just say, is Darius Slayton. I mean, there's no question in my mind. When he first got here during the rookie minicamp, he did have drop sees issues. Oh, yeah. And we knew that coming out of Auburn. A guy who, who you know, ran sub 4-4 and had 20 yards of catch when he was with the Tigers. That's great, okay? And he's 6-2, so he's got some size. But, but, he gets to campus in the rookie minicamp, and he's just having trouble holding on to the ball. Dropping everything. And, look, we all saw it. And we're all, like, looking at this and saying, well, something's not right here. How, you know... Well, there's and, a reason he was a sixth-round pick. I mean, fifth. Fifth-round pick, sorry, yes. So, anyway, long story short is that I decided, okay, I got to really put my eyes on this guy because this didn't start so well. Well, John, as the days went on, and then as they had continued OTAs, and then they had the veteran minicamp this week, you know what? Now he's at a level where you say, okay, this this guy fits in. At first, he didn't fit in. He stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I mean, drops are always going to look bad for a receiver. And obviously, in practices with no contact, there's no reason to have drops to be looking up and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was disturbing. But then as it's gone along, the drops have decreased in frequency, and now they've all but disappeared. We haven't seen many in the last week or so of practice, and his speed allows him to separate. Uh, as a route runner, he's still making progress. Auburn was not a traditional NFL offense by any means, so he does not have that full route tree. They're working on that with him. but And we're not in the classroom. We don't know how he's handling things mentally and you know mental errors, things like that. It's hard for us to see that right. at training camp. But I do know he's fast enough and quick enough to get separation. He's catching passes, short, intermediate, and deep levels of the field, and he's finishing plays now. So I agree. I think of all the guys that have been here, he's making the biggest jump. He has made the biggest jump. Now, you know what's interesting? You know how I feel about the receiver's room. I have always said, well, you know what? There are two qualities here that we're not sure that they have. We don't know for sure if they've got the skyscraper. Mm -hmm. And at this moment, I mean, the tallest guy amongst the receivers, I guess there's Alonzo Russell and there's Reggie White, the tallest receivers who are here in camp. I don't know that either one of those guys is going to make the 53. Okay? (coughs) So it's possible that either Slayton or Latimer might wind up being the tallest receivers on the team by the time they open the season, right? Sure. Okay. And by the way, I don't think it's a guarantee. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't call it a guarantee Slayton's on the 53. 
I'm not saying that it is either, but right. at least now he seems to have more of a chance as we're watching him develop. Correct. Um, so, you know, that's something that still I'd like to see, but they may not have one by the time the season opens. They may not have one all season. The other thing that we weren't sure of, because you weren't sure about Slayton coming in, and you weren't sure about Corey Coleman either. We didn't know that he would make this team as a receiver. We know he's a hell of a kick returner, but we didn't know if he could make the team as a receiver in year two. Now, Eli Manning the other day said that Coleman admitted to him that when he knows what he's doing, he feels like he can be really good. And Eli said as much. But last year, coming in during the middle of the season, he was having a hard time picking things up, and and that contributed to his lack of production as a receiver. He was a, a flash player. So here's my thing. At least right now, I'm thinking between Coleman and Slayton, one of those burners is probably going to make it, maybe even both. Yeah, sure. I agree with that. So that's kind of nice. And you can throw Latimer into that category, too. He has deep speed in order to get behind the defense. Not like those guys. Benny Fowler's a little bit different for me. He's more of kind of that big possession slot receiver, which I think is a little bit of a different of a profile is, than the other guys. Fowler's 6'3"? He, he is a little taller, I think, I think he? he's 6'1", but he's very thick. I, he's one of those guys that kind of okay. wins with power a little bit. Should, should I have he's 6'1", 212. Okay, because I was going to say, did I leave him out when I said one of the no. taller guys in the room? Okay. But to me, he kind of is that... He's not a guy that's going to you know, beat you with super deep speed, but I think he's, he could be a good possession guy in the middle of the field. I think he's had a pretty good camp too. So, yeah, I think once you get past Shepard and Tate, you're looking at Slayton, Coleman, Latimer, Fowler. Who well, else would you put in well, that group? Well, Russell Shepard to me. Oh, and, and Russell Shepard, of course. You know, Because he plays so well on special teams too. Yeah, and, and, and again, mm-hmm. he made some plays at the end of last season, so I don't want to just discount his value as a receiver. I think he is a back end of the depth chart receiver. But his special teams, and Latimer's too, really give them kind of an edge in that category. Yeah, and I think there's a decent shot they keep six wide receivers this year only because so many of these guys can help you on special teams. And I, you know what, John? Uh, many years I say to you, I'm thinking five, six might be a little bit of a reach. I'm thinking maybe I lean more towards six this year because of what you just said. The other guy that's really impressed me too, Paul, and uh, the, obviously the coaches as well, is DeAndre Baker. You know, whenever yeah. somebody can elevate himself from the second team to the starting team just based on his play, and that's what he did, he looked very, very good. And What's impressive about it to me, and we talked about Baker before the draft and when he got here on the show, he was somebody that when he played his best football at Georgia, he won with press coverage and being physical. Well, you're not allowed to do that in minicamp and OTAs. Mm -hmm. You have to play off coverage. So I think it was you I had the discussion with on the show. It might have been Lance or Fiegels. I don't remember. I was worried about that because Baker, when he can't press the line of scrimmage and he has to play off and he has to depend on you know his raw athleticism to cover and things like that, he struggled sometimes at Georgia. He gave up some plays. You have not seen him give up a lot of plays over the course of spring practices here. You just haven't. He's been all over receivers all the time, and frankly, he's been less physical down the field in recent practices too, and less flags have, thrown on, have been thrown on him. So uh, I think the coaches are very happy with what he's done, and and I think it's good for a cornerback position. He's just like this. He's not one of these guys that gets emotional. You run in and scream and yell, and he's up and he's down, and he's up and he's down, and he's, you know, mercurial and, you know, things like that. He just seems like a really, really steady guy. Nothing's going to bother him. 
And that's what you need a cornerback, right? Where if you have a bad play, you don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And I think he has those type of characteristics. Well, when you consider the fact that Beal has had a very good spring and Baker has had an improving spring every single day, and Love has certainly shown some really nice flashes as well. I think Haley's outplayed Love. You know, oh, I think now. so. I think so too. But Love has done some some nice things. Sure. And and we got to see a little bit of Valentine. Yeah, a little bit. And, and he made a couple plays in Thursday's practice, actually. One play was really nice. You would have appreciated it. They were playing, I think it was a cover two, but he was in a short zone. And they tried to get the ball over his head into that little turkey hole in the cover two behind the short zone. He read the quarterback, got back, jumped, and got his hand on the ball to knock it away. I thought it was a very uh, intelligent, heady play that required anticipation from a guy that's obviously from a Division II program. And clearly he's further away than the other guys are. Right. We, we understand that. That's going to be a natural progression. So I think he's got a little bit further to go as, as you try to um, earn meaningful snaps uh, in, on the 53. Now, at the same time, John, we just said maybe keep six receivers. I might wind up keeping an extra corner too and maybe taking one less safety. And I might have to take one less of another position because I just like the quantity of quality prospects in the corner room. Well, right let's now. see. You're going to have Jenkins. Baker's not going anywhere. Beal's not going anywhere. Uh, that's three that you know are going to be there. Yeah. Haley um, and Love. You figure Haley and Love are both going to make the roster, right? So that's five. Ballantyne is somebody they like Got enough. To. I think he's probably going to be sad. Do, do you keep a seventh? Well, I'm saying is you keep six and then only three safeties. Well, safety, you know, you're obviously going to have Peppers and Bethay on the roster. And, and you know Michael Thomas is going to be there. That's I mean, it. You could get to 10 DBs if you wanted to, if you don't keep a ton of linebackers. See, I don't know that I would go 10. I, I think I'd go nine and make it a 6-3 split instead of a 5-4 split. Yeah, I don't think nine is. I mean, nine is pretty typical, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but usually the split's 5-4. Five right. corners, four safeties. That's true. I'm saying go six corners, well, and they also three might th- safeties. They also might think Julian Love can help out at safety, too. Correct. So, you know, now that would leave Chandler as the odd man out, who they right. kind of like last year. And he's, he's been a little banged up, too. So hmm. Now, if you really like him as a, as a still as a prospect. Try to stash him? Well, now, no, I was going to say maybe you wind up squeezing them in and making it a six and a four, which means you're going to keep 10 DBs. Yeah. Now, to do that, you're going to have to steal a spot from somewhere else. So, it, look, here's the good news, folks. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. You know, there have been years here, and I'm not making fun of it because everybody, you know, who's on an NFL roster, hey, you know, I have to have respect for that. But there have been years here where the back end of the roster – they were placeholders. Those guys were just by default. Right. They were here. Now, the trick, though, is how good are those guys going to be? They're good young prospects, but how quickly can they become good football players, which is certainly remains to be seen. Well, the problem becomes if you believe in enough of their potential, the last thing in the world you want to do is let them get out of the building. Well, of course. Right. So you got to keep them. 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. I saw some tweets from earlier. Get them in, and we will get your tweets up and your questions asked. One story I want to tell from yesterday's practice before we get to the calls that I thought was interesting, and we'll touch on uh, Daniel Jones. We have a caller about him. We'll get to him and somebody else as well. At the end of practice, the Giants were running one of their team drills, and they were shortening practice a little bit in the third day of minicamp. They were you know, making it a little bit shorter. And there was a third and six in one of their periods. It was around midfield, I think, give or take. And Kyle Loletta was a quarterback. And Loletta, by the way, 
uh, has started taking team snaps now during minicamp. First time for him, which is good to see. And there was a third and six, and I guess a deal was struck where the loser of that play would have to do push-ups. If the defense got the stop, the offense would have to do push-ups and vice versa. So they run the play. Defense gets the stop. They start to celebrate. Flag comes out. Defensive penalty, automatic first down. The, the defense then starts to go down to do push-ups, and Pat Shermer's about to end practice when Saquon Barkley comes in and starts yelling, no, 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 one more play, one more play. He convinces Coach Shermer to not end practice, allow them to run one more play. <laughs> the funny thing is the starters from both sides tried to go out there for the one more play. Shermer wouldn't let him. He made the third team guys go back out there to do the last possession. So they do it. Loletta ends up hitting uh, Reggie White Jr. on a little slant for the first down. The defense has to do push-ups. And Barkley starts yelling, it's time to get stronger. It's time to get stronger. Damn sure looks like you need it. But it was friendly. <laughs> and I think it was, and we're seeing more and more of this. Saquon Barkley is putting his leadership stamp on this team a little bit. And you're seeing him be a little bit more vocal. You're seeing his personality come out. There was a play, I think it was on the second day, where he ran a sweep. And DeAndre Baker was out there, and it was basically one-on-one. -on -one, and Baker did, you know, his little fake half tackle, which is what you're supposed to do in right. minicamp because you can't have contact. And Barkley, as he goes back to the hole, just yells to him, Baker, you better be ready to make that tackle because I'm coming at you. And it's just one of those little things where you see his personality starting to come out more and him being more of a vocal leader which, with this team, which is, I think, a very, very good thing. And it's not... And it sounds like I'm saying Barkley's talking trash to the defense. It, it's not that, though. It's good-natured. It's not something that the defense is going to get mad about. They're going to get nasty about. This is a way for both sides of the ball to motivate each other, something we see on the sideline all the time between Jabril Peppers, Russell Shepard, and Benny Fowler. They're always yelling to each other, back and forth from the field to the sideline and vice versa, having fun. But it's not nasty. And, you know, we saw sometimes, Paul, in the past at these practices where the offense and defense would talk trash, but it was mean-spirited. And it would turn into, you know, pushing and shoving. And maybe so some... somebody tried to hit somebody with a helmet one time. Correct. Yeah. Things like that. Mm -hmm. hundred, I wasn't going to use that example, but I think it's a good one. I don't need to get any more no. specific. And you're, that's not here anymore. No, and, and, and I think that has to do with Barkley putting his stamp on the team. And I think if I was to pick out one thing that would reflect the culture change, Gettleman and Shermer's trying to achieve, it would be that. Well, and I think as much as it is Barkley doing what he's doing to assert himself here, it's also the fact that the makeup of this locker room is so much better. 100%. Now, also understand something about Barkley. And we always talked about Odell Beckham Jr. being the ultimate competitor. And I really don't believe anybody hates to lose more than he does. No, he, he's, he's a hell of a competitor. Okay, mm -hmm. there's no question about mm -hmm. that. Barkley is very similar, although he doesn't express it with such vinegar. He just doesn't. But he's very similar in that he hates to lose. I mean, I was just looking at his the records at Penn State when Barkley was there. 7-6 and six in his first, series, first season. 11-3. and three. 11 and 2. The Giants were 5 and 11 this past year. More losses than he had almost in all three years in college. Well, it is. 6, 3, and 2 is 11. Oh, you're right. Bad math. Okay. 
as many losses as he had at Penn State over three years, he had last year in one year with the Giants. He's tired of that already. After one year, he's tired of that. He, he's not looking, looking, more, looking for losses. And I think he understands that the coaching staff and this organization, this general manager, they want him to be at the forefront of the wagon. They want him to be in that driver's seat, and he's willing to take it because he knows that that's probably the best way for this team to succeed. And he has been such a willing guy to step up, and that's what you're talking about. That's exactly what you're talking about. He's just such a good person. He's so respectful. He's enthusiastic to do everything. And I feel like it's just that type of thing is contagious. When you see the best player on your team doing stuff like that, everyone else on the team is more willing to do it. And you know what's funny? It was a perfect example. Let me just give one example real quick. Yeah. I see Matt Cohen here, and it reminds me of it. So we were doing our big specialty about, about shoot. About losing? No, <laughs> not that. We were doing our big specialty shoot uh, last week, and I think we put some stuff up on Instagram and on our social media about it. I think you saw it, where basically all the stuff that gets shown on the scoreboard and graphics, and it was a player day off, and basically we just run through the whole roster. They all got to the field house. We have like a dozen different mm-hmm. stations, and the guys do all these different things, and they take pictures, they do yeah. videos, things like that that we use for social media, the stadium, whatever. And Barkley comes out there, and he's sitting there doing a station, and he's, you know, he's always good about this sort of stuff. And he walks away, and he go, wants to go to the next station. And all these players have a big list. I mean, they're out there for a while, and you know, everyone wants to get out of there. So he's done with another station, and he sees Wayne Gallman going back to the social media station that he was at before. He voluntarily goes back to the station after he was done with it mm-hmm. to do stuff with Gallman. No and kidding. stayed for an extra fifteen minutes instead of doing other stuff that he could have got done faster. Right. Because he wanted because he was having fun and spending time with his teammates. I mean, it's you don't see that from a player of that caliber. You don't. Yeah. Period. You just don't. Well, and it's because what do they say? Actions speak louder than words. You see? And he's having fun. He was smiling. He's laughing. It was just, it was great. I can see what a great teammate he is. I can see how driven he is. I can see what a leader he is. I can see how much he hates to lose. He doesn't have to tell me. I could see it. And he has an edge when he needs to have an edge, too. Like, yeah. when he wants oh, to get. Oh, there's no doubt. Right. That's what I'm saying. All right, you we could see it. Yeah. You want to do phone calls? Let's go. All right. It's all presented by Coors Light, 201 939 4513. We actually have a couple open lines if you want to get in. Give us a call. We'll talk football with you. Let's go to Phil and Montclair. He's up next. Hey, Phil. Hey, what's going on, guys? How you guys doing? Hello. Phil, what's up? Uh, I just got a, a quick question. So, now that you guys got to see Daniel Jones in person, and I know it's OTAs, mm-hmm. if you compare with the, the video you watched and tape of him from college and what you see in person, is your opinion changed on him? Is it, or is it the same? Well, I had seen him in person full at the Senior Bowl, and I had never had the same concerns about his arm strength that other people did. So that being said, I think his arm strength has actually been better watching him up, up close and not from the stands and being on the sideline. He can make all the throws. Does he have a Patrick Mahomes arm? No. Does he have a Brett Favre arm? No, but that's fine. You don't have to have that. He can make all the throws. He gets the ball where it needs to go with the velocity he needs it. Uh, it needs to get there. So physically, he's he's quick. He's fast. He's big. Physically, he's fine. He has everything you want to check in terms of a quarterback. 
when I saw him at the Senior Bowl, he was not an accurate thrower of the football. The ball yeah. was all over the place in practice. You know, I, I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm sorry because I'm gonna be honest That's with okay. you. After watching that, look, look, I was, you know, I, I liked him before that because I, I actually watched some of the games on YouTube. Mm-hmm. When I saw that game, I was like, oh, this guy's a bum. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm stereotyping right away. You know what I'm saying? No, no Phil, and, that, but, and Phil, you're and right. I, and I, I wanted Haskins so bad. I was like, I didn't give him a chance. I didn't think he's, you know, really a bum. I was like, I don't want him from that. But I wanted Haskins so bad that I was like, when they drafted I'm mad because of that. No, of but course, I'm Phil. That he can actually be really good, though. No, Phil, I hear you, and that's the thing. You know, in the game, he did throw the touchdown pass. He also two plays before that threw a pass that should have been intercepted mm-hmm. that wasn't. In practice, he was all over the place. He has been much more accurate in Giants practice than I thought he was going to be. Um, he throws high sometimes, mm-hmm. but his deep ball accuracy, I think, has been on point and has been very strong. Even some of the media members have have brought that up in in a lot of their tweets and their posts. So. Um, you know, I just think he's he's been good. Now, the trick with him, and we saw this on the tape at Duke, when things break down for him sometimes, he'll make some throws, and you're like, oh, boy, what the heck was that? You know, h- how does he go through the progressions like he's going through now? How does he process in a game when right. there's pressure and defenses are doing things he's not expecting? That's another thing. And I talked to Mike Shula about this the other day. And I asked him, you know, what's the next step for him? He goes, yeah, you want to get him in games, not only because you want to see him play against the pass rush, but you also want to see him go against different defensive schemes. Because at this point, the Giants' offense knows what the Giants' defense is going to show him. They're not going to surprise him a whole lot. Right, of right. stuff. They're seeing the same stuff every day, right? So the next step for me with Daniel Jones, training camp's going to be great, whatever. But for quarterbacks, it's not going to be much different than what we see in the spring. It's time to see him in some preseason games to see how he does under fire. You know, there were one, questions one, one that more we. One question before you. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Sure. Um, does he have the mental makeup in your opinion? Yes, I don't think that's a question. Yeah, okay. I agree with John on that. That's, but I think everybody knew that going in. Uh, his mental and emotional state of mind is exemplary. Uh, I would say this. There are questions that we're never going to be able to answer until he gets into preseason games. And even then, it's still preseason games. It's not the complete package. It's still only like a, a half a test. Yeah, because the defense still isn't showing you everything Correct. all that stuff. Right. Correct. And he'd be going against 13. But at least whatever. that'll be something substantial. And, and, I think we lost and, Phil and, there, Matt. And, those, t- yeah. and those, those questions just can't be answered now. But here's what I will say. You asked me, what do I think about him now compared to what I saw when I looked at tape on him? The one thing, John, that I could not tell on tape, I could not tell about wind conditions. I can't tell that on tape. When I'm watching a, a, a clip, I can't necessarily tell. I, I, you know, okay, it looks like it was, it was a rainy day. They well, had a little bit, way, whatever. And he did have one bad weather game last year where he was not very good. No, that one, no. It no, it was not. not good at all. <laughs> right. But there was not enough of body of work Correct. where I could tell climate conditions and say, well, how's this guy's arm strength going to do? And how is he going to be affected by nasty climate? I really can't, can't do that from what I'm seeing. Very small sample size. The one Randy game, you're right. He did not do well. So for me, one of the tests that I wanted to see Daniel Jones have to deal with was going to be the tough weather that we have here in North Jersey, especially in November and December. We're not going to know that answer until he gets to that point. But here's what we do know. He did have a couple of practices in the rain here so far. Mm -hmm. One was light rain. One was a little bit heavier. Yes. And he threw the ball fine. 
Yeah, he was fine. I saw no problems. Uh, we also saw, as practices went on during these OTAs, there were some windy days. Especially are, early, yeah. You know, and and well, I thought that was more later than earlier, but... No, middle, maybe, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. There yeah, were yeah. a few. Mm-hmm. Yes, there were. Yeah. And he did fine. Mm-hmm. I did not see any signs of his passes wobbling, dying, um, no, well, he 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 throws a nice tight spiral. He does. He doesn't. He doesn't. Have, frankly, he throws a better spiral than Eli does. He does. There's absolutely no question about that. Right. And so, that to me, while a little test or a little quiz, so to speak, he passed it, and and that's that's good. So that's something that I can honestly tell you I felt very ignorant about, even after looking at video on him, that I learned about him by watching him in person on this field. Is that fair? Sure. So, I know you're getting more concerned with arm strength than I do. I do what, because of the the Northeast. What's it, it, what's been your role take in terms of his arm strength, making all the throws and things like that? Push, I, I think the it's been fine. Field. I think it's been fine. You know, I, I my dad asked me the other day, and it was funny because my dad knows you know how I feel about Eli Manning and how I felt about Phil Sims, and he said, "So, what do you, what do you think about the the arm? Because everyone said so much about it." And I said, well, Dad, Kerry Collins had the best arm that I've ever seen yeah. in Giants history. I mean... Much better than Sims? The Sims had a cannon. No, now. no, 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 no. Kerry Collins had okay. a cannon. Okay. And 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 I I will never waver off of that. K- Kerry had an absolute rifle. And he could he could throw with mustard even the 70-yard bomb. I mean, he had he had some real gas behind that throw. So that's the best arm I'd ever seen. Phil had a very good arm, okay? Eli has a terrific arm in terms of distance. He can throw the deep ball 65, 70 yards, but it won't have as much mustard on it. You thought Sims had a better arm than Eli? Well, Sims could could put more juice on it. That's the difference. See, because when you say when people say better arm... John, so basically, you're telling me on a 20-yard out, Eli's throw is going to have a little bit more arc on it than Sims is going to have. Sims is going to be more of a straight line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that and that's the thing because when you talk better, who's got the better arm? Are we talking about the ability to make a seventy-yard bomb, or are we talking about having to throw a twenty-yard out on a rope? Right. There, there are differences. Sure, absolutely. And and see, and that's the thing. Kerry had mustard on the ball, no matter how long he threw it. He had mustard on every single throw. He also had touch too. But if he needed mustard, he could put it on any throw in the entire route tree. That's what made his arm the best arm I've ever seen in, in my 37 years. I think Davis Webb had a terrific arm. And probably a better arm than Daniel Jones. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay? I agree with that. Um, I think Sims had a terrific arm. I think Eli has a terrific arm for his depth. Doesn't have as much juice as those other guys did on the 20-yarder. But throws a really you know, strong ball. I think Daniel Jones is right there underneath those guys. Feel free to disagree with me, and I'm sure you will. Maybe not. I don't think Eli's been as sharp this spring as he has been the last couple years. I think more balls have hit the ground than... I don't see a step back in the physical ability. I just have seen him miss more throws. That's just my take. I... 
See, yeah, now, I figured you would disagree with me, but that's that. Well, here's here, like, like 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 for example, if you like looked at his raw completion percentage in practice, my, it's not it's not very good. I think it's going to be a lot lower than it has been the last couple. No, of years. see, this is why I'm not going to disagree with you because I think if you had cataloged every one of his stats in practice this year, his numbers would be down. But here's where I'm going to put a little asterisk there. I think he's had more passes defended this spring than he has necessarily thrown uncatchable balls. Okay, I can see that. So, you know, and that's why it's funny. I, 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 I've, I've had this, I don't want to say dispute, but there have been people on Twitter, right? You can call it a dispute. It's okay. No, no, it's not really a dispute. It's a clarification. You are very disputable. I, I can be. There have been some some practices that the media has seen, and some of the writers have put things up on Twitter. Eli's uh, 0 for 4. In, in, or one for four in the seven on seven, or one for four in the eleven on eleven, or whatever it yeah. is, and oh, he's not throwing the ball well. Eli only completed one ball. Okay, but here's the problem, and I've had, I've tried to explain this to a few people who have questioned why there's a variety of opinions on a Manning practice. Well, because here's the thing: if I see that Eli has thrown four catchable balls, but only one was completed because the receiver dropped one because the receiver maybe didn't make an effort on another, and because maybe on the other incompletion, the defensive back made an outstanding play to knock it out of the receiver's hands. Well, so maybe Eli's 0 for 4, but he threw four catchable balls that were in the box. See, to me, that's a good practice. No, that's fair. I agree with that. And that's where the problem is. So I'm with you. I think Eli's stats, if you kept him during practice, would be lower but I don't necessarily think that means he has been less efficient in terms of the quality of his throws. Okay. I honestly, I would have to go back and, and take a closer look at my notes on that. But yeah, okay, that's fair. And and that's, that's how fair. I've tried to explain it to some of the folks who have uh, tweeted me about it. 201-939-4513. Back to the phone. Let's go to Mike in Atlanta. Mike, what's up? Hi, guys. How are you? What's up, Mike? Hi. Just wanted to get your take or opinion on starting to think about trading Evan Ingram, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. You guys you guys touched upon this before. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. You touched upon this before, and it's really apparent now that this is Barkley's team. And you start to have to question, with Ingram's health history, he missed a mini camp again this week, whether there really is a place on this team anymore for a 235-pound tight end who simply can't block, and whether we should really be starting to look at trading him now while he's got maximum value and really make this about a team in Barkley's image. It's no, it's not basketball on grass anymore. This is about hog mollies, running the ball effectively. We got C.J. Conrad now, who I know he hasn't put the pads on yet, but if you watch the tapes, he played in the SEC same conference as Ingram. Relax with a C.J. Conrad. Look, I happen to like C.J. Conrad. He's my dark horse, so you don't have to sell me. But i got to make something very clear to you, and then I want John to take over on this one. Very simply put, okay, even if you wanted to, if you did not believe that Ingram was going to be part of the playbook and the game plan, which I happen to totally disagree with you. I think he's going to be a very big part and of it. he was really important the last okay. four games of last year. So too. so that premise, I, I, look, I'm not even going to argue that with you because you're clearly on the other side of the world on that one. But here's the problem. Even if I were to buy that, 
You can't tell me that he is at his max value right now because he has yet to play a full, healthy 16-game season. And even now, he's missed some time during the spring. So, no, Evan Ingram is not at max value because he has yet to prove he can go out there for 16 games and fulfill the potential that he had as a first-round draft pick. He hasn't done it yet. So your comment about him being at max value is also very well on the other side of the world. I don't know where you're coming from. Yeah, Mike, what I'll say is this. If the Giants have reason to believe, and I have, don't think they do, that he will be perpetually injured and never be able to get be relied upon, then yeah, I get it. You move him. I don't sense that's the case, and I really think that Evan Ingram is necessary in this offense right now because when you trade Arnold Beckham Jr., even if you want to run the football and do those sorts of things, you need guys that can win one-on-one. And I almost have more faith in Ingram winning his one-on-ones against linebackers and safeties than I do the wide receivers winning their one-on-ones against cornerbacks. So I think he's one of your very important mismatches in the passing game, which even if you do want to run the football and make that the big part of your offense, which I get, and they are going to try to do that, you need guys to be able to win those one-on-one matchups. And I really think Evan Ingram can excel at that, and I think he's going to be a huge part of what they do this year. Okay, well, let's look at this from the other point, which is this time next year, you have to exercise the fifth-year option on him. He's going to be in his fourth year with the economics coming up. Barkley's going to be probably the first $20 million running back in the NFL. Can you afford to keep a guy like Evan Ingram on the roster two years from now when you're going to have to pay Barkley? I mean, when do you start to basically say to yourself, I have to look at this for the 2021 season, and I have to decide – where this guy is in my plans two years from now and whether I should move him now. Mike, who else are you paying? You're going to be on a rookie quarterback contract, all right? So you're not going to be paying Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard is a moderate contract. Golden Tate might not be here in two more years. Who on defense are you giving a huge contract to in the next three or four seasons? I don't think you're giving anybody a monster contract. So to me, that's... Yeah, okay, maybe one guy, but he's a safety, and he's a safety, right? and he's a safety, so that, that's not going to be a monster deal, and the salary cap by that time is going to be over $200 million, well, so no, I, I, don't, I don't think there's, honestly, I don't think the Giants right now have to do make any decisions or move based on the future salary cap. Now, you don't want to go and overpay people that don't deserve it, no, but I don't think you should look two or three years ahead and anticipate not being able to pay a guy and make a move now. Because if you get, think of it this way. If you trade Evan Ingram now, you're not getting better than a second or third round pick. At best. Okay? You're just not. So if you get there and you decide you can't pay Evan Ingram, but another team's going to give him a lot of money because he's a good player, let him sign somewhere else and you get a compensatory pick back. Yeah, John could not be more right. And besides, your logic is completely flawed because you have no you, idea Mike. what's going to happen after the CBA expires in 2020. That's a good point, too. I mean, for goodness sakes, they, we're they already talking even, about... They, they might not even be fifth-year options after that. Who knows? We have no clue. Right. I mean, we're even hearing rumblings now where, okay, sides are talking, but the CBA is going to expire at the end of 2020. Anybody who sits at a table or in front of a microphone or in front of a typewriter and says to you they know exactly how the salary cap is going to work and what the rules of the game are going to be regarding free agency in 2021 is out of their minds or lying to you. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. 
what happens when these two sides get to the negotiating table to try to find a new labor agreement. Nobody knows. It's uh, Anything could happen. 18-game schedule, elimination of, uh, of preseason games, change in the fifth-year option rule, change in the salary cap number, change in the, in, in the, in the guarantee uh, in terms of guaranteed contracts. You know how many variables could change after the 2021 season or after 2020 season? So, so yeah, he's three years away from, uh, from potential free agency. So he don't, had, don't worry he, about he it. He had yet. three pieces of core philosophy in his point, and all three of them were totally based in quicksand. Look, I, I, I appreciate people looking forward and trying to take care of the cap down the road. I think it's important to, to do that. But, but you don't even know what it's going to be. A guy that, when a guy's been in the league for two years, you don't worry about that. I mean, do you think the – I mean, think of an example. I mean, I think Sterling Shepard was the first player from his draft class to even get a contract yeah. extension. Yeah. And he was a year before Ingram. So I'm not worried about Evan Ingram yet. You know, there was the same group of people that last year were like, oh, we should trade Sterling Shepard because we're never going to resign him because of Odell. <laughs> no, but that's the point. No, you don't I know. know. I know. So many things can change between now and 2020. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, who – I mean – I'm not going to say things that could happen that are bad, but you just don't know. And by the way, you just don't in- know. Ingram is is still one of the younger guys on this team who they're hoping to build around as they uh, continue this reconstruction. So why would you off him when this is a team that's supposedly on the up? And this team needs him, Paul. They need guys in the passing game to win. Oh, well, hey, I'm glad you I called. I hope we set you straight. I, I was a little premature there. I know. That's okay. There we I go. got a bad <laughs> feeling about this. Hallelujah. Losing his mind. Mr. Illness. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. And here we go. Hello, Charlie. How are you? <laughs> hey, John. Hey, What's Paul. up? Hello, hey. Charlie. I'm going to campaign for John to at least put that away because here's the thing. <laughs> Is he making too many good points? No, 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 no. Okay. He's been better. He's been better. But most <laughs> of all, most of all, the Giants have reconstructed their offensive line to a point where we all believe it's going to be to Charlie's satisfaction. Therefore, well, until he's, he's not going to be coming from Mars anymore. Until he is, <laughs> until Charlie declares to me he is satisfied, <laughs> it's not going away. Uh, all right. We're getting there, though, Charlie, right? Yeah, we are. We're, we're getting there slowly. <laughs> hey, I got a question. Just about, I just, this is perfect. This is a good lead-in. Because... Remember, remember last year? I think it was. Yeah, it was last year. Remember when Jalapio and um, Greco, the CFL guy, was fighting oh, Brett for Jones. the center right. job? Yeah, Brett Jones. Right. Right. And then what happened? We ended up Jalapio got it, and we traded. We thought that guy was going to stay on the team, be the backup center, right? Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. And I think the same thing might happen with Pulley and Jalapio. If Jalapio ends up being the center. I think they might trade Pulley, and if they think it's that not Evan possible. Brown or O'Hagan it, it can take that backup position, that Pulley will be gone. I, I don't think that's impossible. I mean, I, I think anything's open, but I would also add to you that they went out of their way to re-sign Spencer Pulley during this offseason. And they paid him. They paid him a decent amount of money, and they also instructed him, and he did it, 
he got bigger and stronger. And I think they believe he could also be their backup guard. Uh, I don't think they saw Brett Jones as a guard necessarily quite as much yeah. as they do Pulley, in my opinion. So I think, Charlie, they feel more comfortable with him as being that swing guard. They too. feel very good about Pulley. Hal Hunter, in particular, uh, said to me, we can't lose with the two centers that we have because either one of them is going to be the sixth offensive lineman. Right. All right. <clears throat> but, I, I mean, I just don't be surprised if that – does happen. I'm not saying it's going to, but it wouldn't surprise hey, me look, Charlie, because they Charlie, did it last year. If a team calls up and starts offering you a fifth or round pick for one of these guys or a sixth round pick and you know you think that Evan Brown isn't that much different than Spencer Pulley if you're the giant coaching staff then you should do a trade like that Charlie just remember one thing okay P.O. is coming off a significant injury early last year and until they have contact and he's actually got to put weight on it and push off of it you know that leg may or may not hold up through the rigors of of camp in the preseason and quite frankly if you're the Giants even if he beats out Pulley and if it were me I loved what I saw out of Pulley the last two months of last season. I made that clear to you. I think that right. Pulley should be the starter. But having said that, how do you know that 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 Pio's going to get through a 16-game regular season coming off of what he's coming off of? That leg was serious. So I think one of the other reasons the Giants made their uh, their wallet open for Pulley was because they wanted to make sure that they could be covered for 16 games with a guy they feel good about. Yeah, I mean, I agree with it. I think Pulley should be the center since he has played center. And uh, Jalapio's only played two games. And Jalapio's a better guard than Pulley. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, it makes sense. To, but, who, you know, who knows with this organization and what they've done with yeah. offensive linemen. Here's you know the good I mean? news, Charlie. And I, and I talked to Hal Hunter about it. And, and he was very direct when he said to me, we're going to give both guys reps with the number ones when we get to training camp and in the preseason. And the guy who wins the job is going to earn it. And I want to make sure that both of them get a fair shot at it because we want to make the right decision. And I think that's important. Yeah, and you know, the thing that, you know, that, that's really disappointing to me is that we finally are going to have an offensive line that, that is actually going to give Eli more time. And what a shame that Odell isn't on this team that now that Eli is going to have an extra second or second and a half, that we could have seen what they could have done with an offensive line and Odell having that extra second and a half or two seconds to get open and uh, Eli having the time to throw it to him, okay. what those guys Charlotte, could have done. Hold on a second now. Remember, okay, remember it was the full combination of the deal and I know you're going to tell me that <laughs> Vernon was really the Zeitler deal but yeah, to be honest it was. To, I, and I get that and I get that but ultimately you know I, I suspect that the Giants the Giants would not be in the place that they're at right now as a team if they had not made the Odell trade yeah I, you know I, I hear what you're saying you know but I just, because remember I just, something the cap the cap and even though they took a big hit on dead money with Odell yeah. they still they still had to find some money to pay Remmers they still had to absorb Zeitler's contract pay Bethay. they still had to, you know so I get it I, I appreciate the thought but I think in retrospect if you weigh it out and chew on it you're going to be okay with it 
Yeah, and there are going to be some really hard cuts at cornerback and wide receiver because I was Hope just so. looking at it and like there's going to be some good players that are going to be cut or maybe they're going to put a lot of these uh, rookies on, on on the practice squad and hope they they don't get grabbed but um there's a lot of guys and i still think uh, tony lips going to make the team and uh you need another veteran back there and he's got more time than a lot of these younger guys so we'll have to see how it all plays out but thank you charlie okay guys have a great weekend and by the way if you're looking for a veteran corner i think antonio hamilton would be the guy given what he did on specials last year as a gunner. Yeah, totally agree with that. I, I'm, I'm Charlie, I hate to say this. Um, Lou Alderumo, the DB coach who was here last year, you know, he has since left. and D.C. And, for the Bengals. Yeah, become a, a D.C. Um, I'm surprised that he didn't try to grab Lippitt and bring him over to Cincinnati. Maybe he did. I don't know the answer yeah, to he that. He might wind up there eventually. Who knows? He might. But, but I know that his connection to him with the Dolphins – was originally the reason that Lippitt was brought here. And, you know, I get the fact that the Giants, when they brought him in, designed him to be a redshirt, that they were going to give him more of a chance this season. But right now, with the young and very talented guys ahead of him in that room, you know, I would find it very, very difficult for him to make this 53. Very, very difficult. And and I think I'm being fair, John. I agree. That's an uphill battle for him. I agree. Folks, we have some open lines at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We'll take a couple more calls if they come in before the top of the hour when we say goodbye, or the bottom, yeah, top of the hour, I should say. Uh, but in the meantime, let's take some tweets. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants Chat. All right, here we go, Paul. This one from Ted Crum at the Gintsman. Did the Giants change the way they did scouting, at least in what qualities they looked at when Gettleman took over? It seems like a departure from how they scouted prior to his arrival. Well, I could tell you, Ted, exactly what they did change. They changed how the scouting department was structured, for one. They changed some personnel in the scouting department, number two. For the people that remain, they changed their positions and exactly what their responsibilities were. They shifted guys around. They changed how they did the board and did their grading. Whether or not they told their scouts or, I mean, I, I know Dave Gettleman makes you know the final decisions on where guys are and where they're graded. Um, what traits to take into more heavy consideration, I can't tell you. But my, without having an actual answer, my impression from watching this regime draft versus watching the previous regime draft is that the previous regime very often was more interested in athletic skills than football skills. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I, I did answer this fellow already back on Twitter that the Giants nowadays, and this actually happened in the last year of Jerry Reese's regime when Jan, John Mara came out during the previous offseason and said, we're not going to take as many gambles and risks. Yeah, and that was when they drafted all the team captains. I mean, if you look at the Giants' second and third round picks, the reason so many of them haven't worked out, they're picking injury risks, they're picking guys that have bad histories, and they don't work out. And guys who are more are athletes than football players. Correct. Okay, so... You know, that last year that, that Jerry Reese was here, they had already started to change that, okay, we're not going to gamble as much. We're not going to take as many risks. We're not going to take as many of these underwear athlete uh, guys who are, you know, kicking butts at the combine and doing great pro days. We're going to start taking guys who are solid, you know, down-at-home, true, you know, blue-blooded, heart football players. 
And and yeah. that's that kind of started a people, little bit. People that, that last year at Jerry Reese love to play football. You know what I mean? And just love it. And I think they I, I do it do it do it with a smile is a is a is a is a bad cliche. But we they, used they, to have they a term. love it. It's part of them. Uh, we used to have a term uh, some years ago, earlier when I was in this business, called slobber knockers. And those were the guys, the real lunch pail guys, the blue-collar guys yeah. who just wanted to play football. They didn't care if it was a hurricane or a tornado outside. And by the way, Saquon's they one of those— They just wanted to play. And by the way, Saquon's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So slobber knockers. I'm going to bring it out of the woodwork, okay? I haven't used that term in a long time, but I'm going to bring it out of the woodwork from, from earlier decades ago. They're drafting more slobber knockers now, more so than ever. In fact, it's almost to the point where under Dave Gettleman, if you're not a slobber knocker, I don't think you get drafted. Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. So, All right, we got a couple more calls up. Uh, I will get to you before the end of the show. I want to do one more tweet. Uh, Anthony at YFootballIN. I see your other tweet about your top 10 players. I'll get to that next week. I'll get to this one for now, though, since I have some more calls I want to get to. Who are the most? Who are you most intrigued to see at training camp, non-starters, and why? And what will be the toughest position decisions to make? Well, I think we talked about the positions already, especially at DB and wide receiver. Oh man, um, I think be that's going to be rough. It's and I think, be real hard. I think the end of the D line depth chart might be a little bit tough too, with RJ McIntosh in there and some of these other guys. I think maybe that could be a challenge. Players I'm most intrigued to see. I mean, I've seen so much wide receiver cornerback stuff. I'd like to see DeAndre Baker when he can play press man. I'd like to see O'Shane Zimenez going against padded guys with full contact. If I had to pick one guy, it'd probably be him. And I'd throw Lorenzo Carter into the mix for that too. Because look, when you get to training camp, folks, I'm you know, in years past I wanted to see if the Giants offensive linemen can block their defensive ends. Now I want to see, can the Giants' edge rushers beat the Giants' offensive tackles? I want to see Lorenzo Carter go up against Nate Solder in pads. I want to see O'Shane Zimenez go up against, you know, Remmers in pads. I want to see if they can win those battles. Because if they're not winning in one-on-ones in training camp, when they have every advantage, they're probably not going to win in games during the regular season. So that's going to be insanely important. So that's my big focus and the guys I want to see, those edge rushers, to see if the Giants can. And Marcus Golden, by the way. I throw him to the mix there too. Bingo! Can those guys get in there and, and be consistent rushers? Because I think Golden and Zimenez have shown the most in the spring. But, you know, who knows if that's going to translate to when the pads come on. You know, John, I always ask these questions uh, during the, the spring drills. I always say, okay, of all the boxes that the Giants need to check, do they have enough potential answers in all of these boxes to make me feel like they've got a realistic chance with the guys on the roster. And the only box right now that I really don't have any confidence in is the pass rush, the edge rushing pass rushers. As much as I love the X-Man and I really, really, really love Lorenzo Carter. Um, they haven't proven that they can be a double-digit sack guy in the NFL. They haven't done it yet. Yeah, I, I worry about the cornerback depth a little okay. bit, too. I feel really good about those guys. I feel I feel better about the corners than I do the edge rushers right now. I agree with that, but, you know, rookie corners, man. Well, they're going to make oh, it's always again, It's always a challenge. I use Mark Haynes as the example. When I remember when Mark Haynes was a rookie, he was a number one draft pick, and Mark Haynes as a rookie made a ton of mistakes. 
and you winced and you're like, oh, and you bite your lip and you bite your tongue. Long term, I okay. love the group. Short term, but, there are going to be growing pains. That's the only point I'm making. Well, for every terrific play those guys make, they'll probably have a bust. Correct, right. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how much will that hurt you? Right. That's just the way it is. Right. But I agree with you. I think pass rush has yeah. to be it. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and to me, that right now is the only box that really doesn't have... Uh, a, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, proven answers to to make me feel comfortable. So, can X Man be that guy? Can Golden be that guy? Can Carter be that guy? Who is the double? If I said to you right now, John, John, put one week's paycheck on the name that's going to be the double digit sack guy for the Giants this year, can you, with any confidence, give me that one guy? Confidence? No. If I had to give you a name, I'd probably give you Marcus Golden. If I if you had to give a name, who'd you give? I don't know that I have one. I will know. If I had to guess, I'd say they wouldn't have one. But if you made me bet on one, I'd, say, I'd, I'd bet on Golden. I'd bet on Carter. 201-939-4513. I got about seven minutes here and three calls. Let's get them all in. Dan in the Poconos is up next. Hey Dan, how are you? How you doing, John? Paul, how We're you? We're great. Doing? How are Hi. you? Hi. Real quick, so you get the other guys in, I just wanted to mention, you know how people call up every now and then and they're frustrated because they hear, you know, oh, you know, Gettleman's getting criticized and uh, Daniel Long was, was, you know, they shouldn't have picked him and blah, blah, blah. If the, if the you know, our, the faithful Giant fans out there take this advice, do not watch the NFL Network. <laughs> just, it's just over and over. The bias is even when we won the Super Bowl the last couple of times, we won the Super Bowl. They were not going to stand. It's just ridiculous. It's Dan, like, don't can, put yourself through it, man. Can I just apprise you of one thing that I happen to catch on the station this week? And I happen to enjoy NFL Network. I think those guys do a great job. Look, I worked for them for a number of years, so uh, I'm I'm not going to uh, besmirch them. But the other day, uh, TD Terrell Davis. Picked the Giants game by game and had them at four and twelve this season. So the I next the next day they brought Sean O'Hara on, and they <laughs> they had Sean fix TD's prediction in right in front of him game by game. And Sean went over to the board. He goes, "You got them at four and twelve, huh? You're talking about last year's roster. This is not the 2019 Giants." What did Sean get them to after he did it? Ten and six okay, and a well, playoff. Team. That might be a little strong too. Okay. <laughs> so, so you know, they, thank you to Sean for setting TD straight. But the point is, go. the point is, at least there were some checks and balances, and that's all I'm going to alert you to. Well, there you go. Well, thank God Sean Harris over there talking some common sense. Thank God. <laughs> thank anyway, you, Dan. Have a great weekend, fellas. I appreciate it. And I feel like, you know, the teams become this sometimes. You know, one team gets labeled as a team that everyone likes to dump on. And for whatever reason, and I frankly don't, I guess I get it, but the Giants have become that team that everyone just likes to take shots at now. And we'll, obviously, you know what's going to, this, this is why sports are a beautiful thing, Paul. It comes in waves. No, they always, eventually you play the games. It comes in waves. Eventually and, you play the games, and that's going to decide. You know, and, it's that and simple. What happens when you when you make playoffs five out of six years, you get talked about in a real good light, right. whether or not you deserve it. When you don't make the playoffs in six out of seven years, you're going to get talked about in a bad light. In the last four years, the Giants have had three different head coaches. Do you, do you know what that so, usually is a signal of? You're not doing too well. Perceptions become very dilated because people just wind up going with the flow, and it takes them longer to believe yep. in whatever turnaround is taking place. 
because the perception overweighs the reality a lot of times. You know, I look at the Giants and the Steelers similarly in that both franchises, I think people are kind of giving up on them a little bit. I mean, people just assume the Browns are winning the NFC North. You don't think yeah. the Steelers and the Ravens have something to say about that? Oh, I'm with you a thousand percent. I don't think Cleveland is going to win that division myself. I think they have a shot at it. They but, absolutely have a shot but, at it, but, but, but I don't to, think they will. But to just assume that yeah. with the Ravens, who constantly are in the mix, and the Steelers, who still have Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Conner. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. I know. Come on. I know. Let's go to Mike in Oakland's up next on line two. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. Um, great to be back on the show. Yeah. Hi. So, hey, I was hoping to... Um, Kind of pick your brain because you you have a lot more exposure to what's going on in OTAs and you know I recognize the pads aren't on but um, I'm kind of wondering about a couple things if you're seeing out there. Sure. So um, I know other guys are trying to get on, so I'll just lay down the list and and hope you can uh, fill me in. So um, first one is you know we know that Saquon Barkley is a you know rare talent um, receiving the ball and that once he gets into space. You know, he's a hard man to bring down. So, um, you know, last year, oh, just most of his receptions came on kind of dump-offs and outlet kind of passes, and we all were really hoping to see, you know, some wheel routes just and, and have him just split out and, and basically run in like a receiver route. So um, first question is, are you guys seeing Saquon um, actually kind of uh, starting to dig into, into like a receiver route tree and, and wheel routes in these OTAs? Yes. Um, Very simply, yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Sweet. So that's a great answer. <laughs> okay. Very simple. Um, well, Coach Shula said as much that the one thing that he would like to see Saquon do in year two besides play within himself and not try to do too much because he was that great last year. He wants to see him become better as a route runner and improve his ability in the passing game out of different positions on the field. Mike, the one part thing I've seen them do a lot with Saquon, whether they motion him into the slot or do it out of the backfield, they've figured out ways to get him, especially on third downs, isolated on that inside linebacker, (laughs) and he just runs away from him, catches the ball, and usually has a ton of daylight ahead of him. So I think you'll see a lot of that this year. Oh, and and yeah. by the way, they're not going to, hopefully, they're not going to need to help block as much either because the offensive line can get the job done themselves. Exactly. You, more freedom for him to do other things. Yeah, it's really hard for me to even conceive of like what the limit is for that given a competent offensive line and a creative um, offensive coordinator. It's just, um, you know, it's kind of like an unbelievable uh, uh, sense of uh, in, you know, excitement for what's coming on here. So, All right, what's next, Mike? Real um, quick, finish up. Okay, Corey Ballantyne. Uh, I'm sorry, Corey, uh, Dexter Lawrence, I wanted to ask. You know, um, I know there's no pads on, but one of the reasons why uh, he's uh, eventually an upgrade to Harrison is, is besides his health, is in addition to a run stopper, the guy can rush the passer. And so, you know, I look for um, – uh, pass rush and counter moves and things that are actually going to uh, let him do more than just kind of play a, a run-stopping nose. So I'm, I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that um, and you're able to see stuff like that yeah, in, Mike, in OTAs. The problem is that there's not a lot of contact at the line of scrimmage. And the other problem is that we stand on the sideline, right? So, And I don't get practice tape to look at. So when you're looking from the sideline, it's hard to see what's happening with the guy's hands in the middle of the defensive line. And they're not doing one-on-ones yet with offensive linemen because there's no contact and there's no pad. So I can't give you an educated answer on that. I can tell you he's gigantic and he's quick. 
I could give you that, but I can't give you much more. The other day he was on the line of scrimmage. Thank you, Mike. Interior, you got to run. And he Calls jumped back. up and batted down a pass. Do you remember that, John? I do. Was it on Tuesday? Was I, don't, it? I don't know how far he got off the ground, but he, he did, he did he, bat it down. He, he got up. I don't Again, I don't know how far it was either, but I did see him get up there, and all of a sudden his hand emerges from that mass of bodies and knocked the sucker down. And I was like, wow, you know, that's not something that, that Snacks did. Snacks never knocked down passes. Joe in Pennsylvania will wrap us up today. Hello, Joe. Hi, guys. Uh, you were talking about, but my biggest concern is, uh, and you were out there watching in that, is, is the linebackers covering these tight ends, especially in our division, and the running backs coming out of the backfield. I know last year quite a bit in third and longs we were getting beat, but I, th- I think the – uh, what third and longs now we can bring in more of these corners and love and stuff like that and safeties of that but I'm a little concerned especially like first and second down covering the, the running backs and the tight ends out of the backfield have you seen anything <laughs> different <laughs> Joe I agree I think that's a fair worry um, I don't think the Giants have linebackers that are particularly great coverage guys I think that maybe they think Tay Davis can become one um, they got this guy, Mark McLaurin, who I think is an interesting guy that maybe eventually could develop into somebody, if not right away at some point. Uh, look, I, I think that is something to be concerned about in the middle of the field. I, like you said, I believe on third downs, they'll be using their linebackers to blitz a lot more than they have before. And I think both VJ Goodson and Alec Ogletree, and I think Tay Davis flashed it too, actually, are actually pretty good blitzers. So I think they'll try to use them in that role more than they'll try to get them on tight ends. I think that's why... Uh, Jabril Peppers this year. I think they're going to try to get him on tight ends as much as possible. But you're right. Sometimes other teams are going to get him isolated. It's just the way it goes. And, yeah, I think that's something that you can definitely keep your eye on to see if they can improve in that area. I think that's Yeah, I I think that's my biggest concern there, our weak point, because I I think these corners are young and talented. They're going to make their mistakes, have growing uh, pains, as you said. But I think they'll come up with some maybe some big plays too so hopefully there and uh but that's my concern on that so uh okay thank you go giants thank you joe good stuff enjoy your weekend everybody out there enjoy your weekend as well thank you for being part of the show and of course continue to send in your tweets to hashtag giants chat and give us a call right here on big blue kickoff live we're back to noon on monday and we'll be there for the rest of the summer until we get to training camp once we get that schedule we'll decide where we have to or when we have to do the show depending on what time practices hopefully we can keep it at noon uh, but that might be tough we will see we'll see what the schedule looks like pat Shermer likes that stuff going on during lunchtime at noon so that has yeah. been has been the toughest adjustment for us but we will figure it is it out. what it is exactly for paul dottino i'm john schmelk for lance meadow and jeff fiegel who are hosting a lot earlier this week We'll see you on Monday on Giants.com. It was all brought to you by Coors Light. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Adios.